Should I be recording? I'm sorry. Oh, I can whatever. start now if you want. Whenever you feel oh, like, yeah, no worries. Time, yeah. I'll just start now in case we get cold. Here we go. Okay. Perfect test, call. test. Anyway. Great. <laughs> nice. Cool. Should we just launch into the thing? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm good to go. Cool beans. <clears throat> um, should we do more of our uh, our vocal warm-ups again? Oh, yeah. Leather beetle, patent beetle. Patent beetle, leather beetle. Patent beetle, leather beetle. Patent beetle, And the one we came up with before we started recording was, I think, was it plastic disc pocket? Plastic disc pocket. Plastic disc Inspired by this plastic disc pocket. Yes. And the other one exists. The other one is inspired by this patent leather beetle. So there is actually context for all this. There you go. And there's a third object in the room. That could inspire the next. But either way, what we're trying to say, of course, is welcome to Super Duperstitious. The comedy podcast <laughs> about the spookiness and the science behind it. Uh, I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. Welcome back yet again to another week. Uh, Jake, Der- Durst, you take it from here. I think I should because uh, we could ramble on about what the show is and stuff, but I think it's better that we just introduce our special guest. You most likely know him from... The hit web series New Guy Weekly, and from General Snoopy playing saxophone <laughs> internet content, it's Alex Schmidt. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, and especially the more the more we can get Snoopy out there doing his art, sharing his jazz, I think the better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did I did I miss any uh, important uh, credits <laughs> at all by any chance? <laughs> Uh, let's see, Glenbard South High School Choir, um, <laughs> Glenbard uh, Glencrest Middle School Band, uh, right. and I currently make a podcast called Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So, so really glad to be here and let people know about that too. Excellent. And uh, why? What are we? What are we doing today? So, for today's episode, we figured we would merge Alex's show, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, with our own to produce the one and only episode of Secretly Incredibly Terrifying. <laughs> Alex. As a person who has won a show actually entitled Jeopardy four whole times, <laughs> which incidentally I'm sure is also a detail you probably never tired of hearing, you are clearly a person familiar with what I can only assume are frightening things. I, first, I really never tire of hearing it. Very grateful. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I the odd thing about me is I, maybe it's not odd, but I, I'm not that good at horror movies. I really get thrown off by... The whole experience of them. Mm. I think I understand why people enjoy them, but mm. uh, you know, a, a scary concept or something is fine. But yeah, I, I don't like consume fear, uh, it, it, you know, as fun. <laughs> if that makes sense. I believe that is the realm of dangerous and mythological creatures. Um, <laughs> I guess I want to start episode one thirty four of our show as we've started every episode one thirty four, which is to ask our guest, "How do you feel about terror?" You've kind of already dimed on it. <laughs> Yeah, I I get it, but I yeah, horror movies not that into them. Uh roller coasters really throw me. Uh I Ideally I, not at all though, am I right? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a weird figure of speech, Alex. Going on. <laughs> I uh you know, I even with horror movies, there was one time when we I heard about a it was an Austrian horror movie. It's called Goodnight Mommy. Oof. Already don't like it. Exactly. Just Austria. I'm out. Terrifying. No, they're fine. Yeah. Um, but I. But we watched the trailer because it was just you know how you go to go to the movies and everything is either superheroes or horror movies and so it was a horror movie trailer so in front of not a horror movie at all. Like we were not the audience for it. You're like going to Disney's Up or something or whatever Pixar. Right. <laughs> and then we watched Coco. You know, not yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but I saw this trailer and I was like, obviously never going to see that movie. I wonder what happens in it. And so I read the mm. Wikipedia summary of it. 
and then I had the worst nightmares that night. Wow. Like my brain took oh, the, the summary and then the, the moments I had seen in the trailer and just finished the film like some weird <laughs> fill-in director that the studio brought in. It was terrible. That is a uh, very relatable scenario. I'm a big, <laughs> big horror movie baby. I do not enjoy them myself. A dab, a dab will do you for me. Yeah. <laughs> Jake and Jake, you as well. Imagine. Yeah, like we, like I said before, we we <laughs> like to talk about conceptual spooky things, but when it comes to actually like right. being presented with it, oh no, oh oh no. Yeah, I don't need to be there. They, it can just be a thing that happened. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. Come on. Oh my god. Um. But yeah, in that in that spirit, we're gonna blend our two shows formats and present you with a pair of stories. That we feel represent things in the world that are unexpectedly creepy, uh, concerning, or otherwise terrifying. And since this is an even-numbered episode, Jake, take it away. So, uh, I've decided to go kind of in the realm of slumber party games with my, uh, with my segment here. Ooh. Bloody Mary. Ah. Known for being a thing you chant in front of a dark mirror when your friends <laughs> dare you during a slumber party. Famous for killing you or whatever when you do that. Uh, this obviously doesn't sound like something that's surprising in its creepiness, but as we talk through a little bit of the history and stuff of it, a little bit of science, I hope you will both be unpleasantly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so for starters, uh, Alex and Wyatt, what is your uh, general understanding of this whole Bloody Mary thing? I never really, I never really did it. I know of it, and I, I, I think I know of it from like people doing it in teen pop culture. Not even the horror specific stuff, because again, avoided it. But I, I have definitely heard of it, and then and then I think Bloody Mary was the nickname for Mary the First of England. Those are the things I know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was always, I guess, Bloody Mary adjacent. I feel like it was like a story told to me either by a friend who experienced attempting that procedure or just things you see in shows and movies and such. So... I do like the idea of it being a procedure. <laughs> yeah, it's a protocol. <laughs> it's, in, <laughs> it's in a manual on how to get scared before bedtime it's like a driver's ed teacher like you got to learn to do a three-point bloody mary before you <laughs> yeah. get your license it's they're just standing just the a deal. few feet behind you in the bathroom <laughs> i think it's it's the opposite of a hail mary in football <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah so i'll cover a little bit of just the background of the ritual or procedure itself uh first um the the spook in question goes by many names so there's bloody mary uh bloody bones hell mary Mary Worth, Mary Worthington, Mary Wales, spelled like the animal, interestingly enough, Mary Johnson, huh. Mary Lou, Mary Jane, Sally, Kathy, Agnes, Black Agnes, Aggie, and Svart Madam. Uh, probably others beyond that, too. A whole bunch of names. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can I, was one of the names Mary Worth? Yes. Is that right? Uh-huh. Like the, there's a newspaper comic strip called Mary Worth. There is. like a regular Ooh. lady. Yeah, this is not her. I don't, I don't know why. The, I, was, <laughs> okay. I saw that too because I was looking up Mary Worth to try and find the background about this Mary Worth, and that came up instead. I was like, "Well, this doesn't seem like Bloody Mary at all." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is this comic like? It's like a soap opera, but from the fifties, sixties, when ah. when soap operas didn't get like you know, I was going to say triple X, but that's not what they do. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I if if people know the comic Skirmudgeon, it's a blog by Josh Frulinger. It's mm. great, and it's got a lot of coverage of Mary Worth. Very interesting. I'm gonna. Check I don't that know if out. that's a very good explanation, but it, it's just like adults having dramatic situations, and then it's between like you know Peanuts and Dilbert and, and Garfield and stuff. It's very it really go. throws you as a kid. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Although I can imagine also as an adult, it's a nice reset for the next joke, the next series of jokes. You're like, oh, geez, that was a bad situation. Oh, what is Snoopy up to anyway? Yeah, you can get up, go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The old tension reset. But uh, all right, many names, one bloody face. For convenience, we'll just call her Mary. Um, summoning her involves a chant. Uh, one version is, I believe in Mary Worth. Others require repeating Bloody Mary into the mirror as many times as the ritual demands. Um, another version is apparently to shout, Kathy, come out! And a particularly horrible variation is yelling, Bloody Mary, I killed your baby! Wow. So any one of those will prompt uh, her to appear, I guess. Right, so also Kathy from Newspaper Comics will show up <laughs> yeah, if you do it that way. <laughs> great. Uh, she'll say, ack, ack at you. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there may be some whole underlying connection here I didn't even make without when I was doing all my research. <laughs> yeah, the the Bloody Mary <laughs> comic strip overlap is uh, very interesting. <laughs> the Bloody Mary yeah. verse. Uh, carry, carry, carry on. Uh, some iterations of the, the ritual specify that the mirror must be illuminated by a single candle. Otherwise, just generally low light is usually what you want. Uh, in other versions, there must be a candle on each side of the mirror. At first, I read that as on like the side you're on and then inside the mirror, but that's obviously yeah. not what they mean. Those are those are the best. If you have one one <laughs> candle, it will automatically be in the mirror, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in some versions, the message to Mary is repeated by just one girl who is either a volunteer or selected by the others. Um, the number of chants needed to fetch Mary also varies. Common versions are three times, 13 times, or 4,000 times. No, it's 100, yeah. 100 times. Uh, but either way, too many times. <laughs> I do also want to put a pin in this particular... Jewish was 4,000 now. Go on, sorry. <laughs> yeah, if you, eventually you get just tired enough, you fall asleep and you're dreaming about Bloody Mary, so it still works. Exactly. Um, I do want to put a pin yeah. in this particular element for now, the idea of the amount of repetition involved to summon her. That will come back later. Ah, okay. 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 Continuing from there, what the mirror witch actually does once summoned is also highly variable by version. She may kill you or drive you mad or scratch your face up slash off or maybe up and off. I don't know. She may just appear and look scary or she may drag you back through the mirror with her. But generally, the idea is that a scary woman will appear in your mirror if you ask her to. That's the gist of the whole Bloody Mary thing. Mm -hmm. So The question then is, who is this woman or rather, who is the legend based on? Some stories point to Mary Worth. Again, I don't think it's the comic one. There actually is a story behind which she is. Uh, so many people believed that Mary was a witch simply because she lived in the forest in an extremely small cabin and was known around the area for selling tinctures and herbal remedies. Hmm. Um, very helpfully, there's no clear geography or timing to this particular telling of events. I did see one version that placed this in the mid-19th huh. century hmm. uh, Wadsworth, Illinois area. Illinois, really? Mm-hmm. I thought Massachusetts had the American witch thing on lock, so good for <laughs> Illinois, breaking into it. We've been outsourcing it ever since. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, side, I should have mentioned that Wyatt is uh, coming to you live from uh, Northampton, Mass. I am coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Northampton, which coven is that? Is that the <laughs> one? No, I'm just kidding. Well, really, which, which coven is all of them, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah small girls started go going missing in the area uh, the people in the village looked everywhere a few brave folk even ventured toward mary's cabin to search for the girls there although the witch denied all knowledge of the girls disappearances the families were suspicious uh, that's, that sounds like some narrative framing right there jake yeah a little bit <laughs> also just referring to her as a Unproven. witch yeah <laughs> 
Um, her usually elderly and haggard appearance had drastically changed, and she was starting to appear more feminine and youthful. Um, but aside from that, there was no other evidence there, so they moved on. Uh, one night, the miller's daughter was captivated by a mysterious noise that only she could hear. Uh, the miller's wife mm. was very freaked out by this happening, so she shouted for her husband to come and help. Um, the daughter was not responding. She was just kind of in a daze and wandering in a fixed direction, clearly on a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few townsfolk came to help <laughs> as well, and the town farmer noticed that there was a light at the edge of the woods. When they got closer, they saw Mary Worth standing in a clearing next to a huge oak tree. Oh, my. She was holding a wand, pointing it toward the miller's home, and was almost glowing <gasps> with an unnatural light. And the miller's <laughs> daughter was headed straight toward that light. This is bad news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that I know this is a witch story without the foregrounding. There's just yeah. all the witch details immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was at this point in the story that they started to suspect something might be weird about Mary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they chased her down with pitchforks and guns, uh, burn at the stake, like you do. Classic. But as she was burning at the stake, she set a curse upon the villagers and told them that if they ever, ever dared to utter her name in a mirror... She would be back for them. Aha. Uh-huh. Which is a very specific and seemingly easy to avoid curse. She's like, <laughs> especially if you use one candle, but also especially if you use two. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> see you later. So, yeah, yeah, obviously totally true. Forest witch magic is, as we've Forest demonstrated witch. time and time again on the show, real. Uh, and, and despite the yes. last known execution for witchcraft in America happening at least a century earlier than when the story took place, no reason not to take this all just for granted, as is. <laughs> yeah, no, clearly a legend, uh, complete, complete with all the basic tropes you'd expect for that kind of legend as well. Uh, it actually seems as though most mentions of this specific format of myth uh, seem to originate sometime in the second half of the 20th century. There's different research into the tellings of the Bloody Mary thing. It's, that seems to kind of be when it started. Mm. That said, the origin of the mirror part of it likely goes way back uh, with some relation to the practice of catoptromancy uh, or mirror divination, which the Greeks and Romans practiced. So that was kind of, it was like scrying in different ways has been a thing for a long time. And reflective surfaces were seen as something kind of unique and special and started to be Mm. a, a form of divination as well. Interesting. You said that was catoptromancy? Is that what it's called? Catoptromancy, yeah. Wow. It's from, there's a Greek word that it's Quite based on catops it? or something. I can't remember. It's like reflect. I, I, I should have written down what the root was, but I did not. Oh, I don't know. It just, it sounds like such a cat related thing, but it's mirrors. <laughs> like, great. Like, it's how I get a skeletal cat to follow me around. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm in a black robe, you know. It's so but true. That's great. Catoptromancer. <laughs> that's actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do have one more version of the Bloody Mar- uh, Mary story if you guys are interested. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to pause for a second. I think I'm going to check on my cat because it's making a bunch of noise. Sure. I, I know it's not coming through, but I'll, I'll be right back. Oh, yeah. no worries. Hey, thanks, guys. He's doing fine. Just wanted a couple pets. Did you, upon discovering that there was a term catoptromancy, go and attempt to practice that craft yeah. just now? <laughs> <laughs> Quick pentagram came back. Doing great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we be calling Peter right now? <laughs> Let me just say my cat has never been stronger. (laughs) Anyway, Jake, you had a third tale? Or a second, actually, even. Or a second? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Um, This one is from AmericanFolklore.net, excerpted from Spooky Indiana, which I guess is a book, and retold by (laughs) S.E. Schlosser. Uh, It goes thusly. Old Man Wales was an evil man who loved money more than anything in the world except his wife. 
Uh, he did lots of awful stuff that I won't get into in order to keep the mood light. And then his beloved wife died in childbirth. So I guess the mood is no longer light. Who oh boy. But, um, <laughs> uh, overnight, whales fell to pieces. He hated the child, a little girl who was named Mary and who he blamed for killing his wife. Mm-hmm. So he neglected her, dressing mm-hmm. her in rags, making her do all the farm chores and half starving her. Uh, in spite of this cruel treatment, Mary grew into a sweet girl who loved her wicked father. As Mary reached adulthood, the resemblance to her dead mother was striking. Wales saw his dead wife every time he looked at the the daughter who had caused her death. Mm. So one night after a hefty bout of drinking, Wales lumbered into Mary's bedroom and stabbed her repeatedly. Again, I don't know why I thought I was going to be able to keep this light. I failed entirely. (laughs) Mary woke screaming and thrashed around in agony trying to fight off her murderous father when she was dead. Old man. Actually, there was a lot of details in this telling that were really graphic that I removed. So, um, wow, this is the yeah, this, this is the, the this is the PG diet version. version. Yeah, um, I feel like Bloody Mary legends. It's just such a given that something terrible is going to happen to a lady named Mary, right? Like it, the it's the, the so details true. are how and what's beyond that. So you're doing right. great, and it's just I think it's the nature of the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, precisely, a bit, yeah. Precisely. Uh, so she she dies. He carries her to the basement, digs a just kind of half-assed grave, throws her into it. Two nights later, when he comes back from doing his nightly chores, he finds Mary standing in the kitchen, her nearly severed head lolling around one uh, against one shoulder as she stirs an empty kettle, uh, and then blood, etc. Father, Bloody Mary hissed. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, what are you cooking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, old man Wells screamed and leapt out the kitchen window. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Kitchen, kitchen, leapt out the kitchen door. I read that as kitchen window. He leapt out the kitchen door. <laughs> um, when he glanced over his shoulder, the apparition was gone. A week later, old man Wales looked up from reading the newspaper to find Bloody Mary sitting in the chair opposite him. She was busily knitting him a shirt. Hey. <laughs> Father, she hissed. And then she suddenly flew across <laughs> the room toward him, knitting needles held like knives. Here we go. So then he uh, fled from the house in panic with uh, some minor knitting needle uh, abrasions. <laughs> he uh, cowered in the barn for several days, afraid to go near his house. After nearly a week of sleeping in the hay and eating raw food from the garden, he decided to try returning to the house again. Uh, he hurried into the kitchen, eager for a wash and a shave after sleeping so many nights in the barn. He pumped some water and took it over to the little shaving mirror he kept on the far wall. When he looked in the mirror, Old Man Whale saw the glowing red eyes and knife-scored face of Bloody Mary. Mm. Father, she hissed, raising bloody clawed hands toward him. She uh, reached out of the mirror and slapped her father twice across the face. Nice. I feel like that after being really <laughs> gruesome and hovel up until now, she just slaps him. Just smacks him around. Uh, he screams, run out, runs out of the house, um, back into the barn where he hid before, and then... Uh, finds that she's waiting for him there as well and says does her whole whispering father Adam mm-hmm. thing he saw her there and she's just kind of pointing to a, a noose that's set up on the um like the beam over her head and so go. he uh obediently climbs up the ladder and uh and that's how that ends so that is a, a creepier version of the bloody mary yeah. tale um still mm. i mean even more uh legend-esque it's already immediately supernatural with its whole thing right so the question probably on both of your minds is what part of this whole story is surprisingly scary? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I it really jumps out to me, e- even in a farm culture when the houses are far apart, it really jumps out to me that this guy didn't go to his friend's house at any point. <laughs> I think he has no friends. It seems like, I think, yeah. <laughs> that's, that is a good point. 
like I, I know i know it's a long way in a rural place but still, still. Uh, do you know anyone besides your own barn yeah you need to get to a safe a safe place <laughs> things are not going well because she figured out the barn trick the second that's time. right yeah she was like it's he's true. probably going there it, it did work <laughs> it did take her two weeks to figure out the barn thing though yeah i um, now want to do a meta-analysis of uh, ghost stories in which the phantom is like a recurring thing and adapting to a situation and get sort of an average, you know, rate <laughs> of ghost tutelage. How quickly do they learn? Like, oh, they're scheming at a fourth grade level. Now yeah. we know. Yeah. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I don't know what the number is, but let's find out. Experimenting <laughs> an operant conditioning in uh, phantasms. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the the surprisingly creepy part about this whole thing is that you see, gentlemen, it's all real. Oh no! Uh, no, in a, in a 2010 study published in the journal Perception, Giovanni Caputo or Caputo asked 50 subjects to gaze at their reflected faces in a mirror for a 10 minute session. Uh, after okay. less than a minute for most of them, they began to perceive uh, this so-called strange face illusion. Um, they described seeing huge deformations of their own faces. Seeing the faces of alive or deceased parents, uh, archetypal faces such as an old woman, a child, or the portrait of an ancestor, animal faces such as a cat, pig, or a lion, weirdly specific, wow. Wow. and even fantastical and monstrous beings. Interesting. Uh, all 50 participants reported feelings of otherness when confronted with a face that seemed suddenly unfamiliar. Uh, some felt powerful emotions tied to this. So what's happening here is a thing called neural adaptation. When faced with minimal stimulation for a prolonged period, your brain starts to basically try exercising itself. This is particularly mm. true for a sense that you're trying to use but not getting much input from. Mm. So if you're staring for a long time at your reflection in a mirror, uh, the unchanging nature of the visual stimulus causes weird stuff in the visual center of your brain. As you blink or make involuntary eye movements, this effectively refreshes your neurons' responses each time. And so things get weird over time. Mm. In the absence of visual information, such as in dim lighting with a mostly static image, your brain will fill in any gaps using information from experiences or expectations, uh, even from hardwired neural mechanisms involved in shape and face perception. Um, so recall earlier that the Bloody Mary ritual usually requires repeating a chant some number of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The longer this carries on, the more opportunities your brain has to start putting weird shit into your visual center. So there you're just you taking more and more time to staring at a dark mirror and if you're already expecting to see a spooky ghost lady and with friends literally any sudden change that anyone sees over time for all intents and purposes is bloody mary wow so the unexpectedly creepy thing here is uh it's uh, our brains themselves if you look into a mirror in low light conditions uh, eventually something is going to appear there with you that is so well how about that interesting this this reminds me of a study looking at some kind of artificial intelligence or something to do with neural resolution of images and things like this. So sort of mapping how the brain functions and stitching this into like a machine learning program of some kind. Cool. I think you I could saw actually this. play with it and you basically put in inputs that are like, you know, man, church, park or whatever colors of different kinds and it sort of generates it sort of looks like those um deep algorithmic generated images you know there's sort of like this psychedelic mishmash of mm. like a dog head turning into oh. like you know shapes and all this sort of thing anyway i've seen that online yeah 
there you have it exactly um i'll send the link around because it's very intriguing the way it'll you can play with basically the results of the machine they built and merge like concepts together and it like but basically it's 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 just a signpost but it's a way of visualizing how our brains kind of want to project and reinterpret visual information and it's this is like exactly what it sounds like jake that's so crazy i kind of want to go try it now of course (laughs) I'm like, give me 45 minutes. <laughs> Are you going for the 4,000 4, repetition one, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I'm going for the 4,000. Yeah, if you're going to do 4,000, like, drink water before, uh, yeah. do, do some vocal warm-ups. Like, really, really focus yeah. on, on your own health as you do that. Man. Yeah. But I also like that you're guaranteed something interesting if you do it. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah, right. Whether that's waking up on the bathroom floor hours later or seeing something in the mirror, it's a win either way, I yeah. suppose. Or just drinking too much water and finding you have to pee, and you're already in the bathroom, so that works out great. Convenience, exactly. <laughs> Ideally, you can do so while not breaking line of contact, yeah. but that would be upsetting as well in its own way, I guess. It's about pivoting the hips. That's all you need, you know? A good fellas, hip pivot. Fellas specifically? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Any, any listeners out there? Perhaps a bathtub is the place to be? Who knows? Um. <laughs> so that's all I got for you. I think, uh, do we want to... Use this as a time to awkwardly insert a later recorded ad break. Oh, yes. Cool. Why Here not? it is now. For starters, we want to thank uh, a certain little brewery in Western Massachusetts. Yes, of course. That's the old brewery for Phantoms, which is uh, truly puts the king in clink for me. Um, <laughs> this is a uh, lovely set of beers I don't know how to talk about anymore. Jake, help me. <laughs> No, of course, four phantoms. I. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny you launch into that with so much enthusiasm and confidence, and then suddenly sheer terror in your eyes. Sometimes you just forget how to talk. Yeah, um, the beers that they make are good, and you should drink them. And also, I have just got the chance to drink them. Drew, thank you so much for sending those. I uh, I cracked open uh, a couple of those in the last couple of days, including. Um, let's see, we got. Purple Potion, I haven't had one yet. I've been saving it. I love Purple Potion. Purple Potion is Yum. the, boy. it is boysenberry. I did read the label again. Boysenberry oh, sour yeah. with a hint of lavender. Um, I don't usually like floral stuff in things. It's a very subtle lavender. It's a very mm-hmm. uh, smooth tart. It's a, a good drinking beer. It is so good. And they also have... Uh, uh, Battle Standard. Oh, yeah, the two. A lager brewed with German malt and American Equinot and Amarillo hops. Very tasty. It's a it's a household fave right now. That's the one I just uh, cracked open last night and um, was pleasantly surprised by. As I said, I'm not usually a, a big lager person, but that one is uh, quite pleasant. There you have it. And of course, Hand of Doom, mm-hmm. which is your big boy oatmeal stout. Very tasty uh, dessert beer, but could be had at any time of day, uh, even before work. Uh <laughs> Chocolate and caramel flavor pours real dark and real tasty. You can find Porn Phantoms in all kinds of different alcohol selling places in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Or uh, since we still are very much in a pandemic, you can go to uh, there. You can, you can get in contact. We have contact info in all of our descriptions every episode to arrange for a curbside pickup. I will say starting next Saturday, huh? they're going to start selling curbside at 301 Wells in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Nice. So get on it, local people who <laughs> live near Greenfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> yes. um, and regardless of where you live, we encourage you to uh, leave a nice review on Untapped, 
Adopt.com. Adopt. We have a link to that where you can where you can do so. Um, doesn't matter if you've had the beer or not. You can just leave a nice positive review because it helps with their visibility. Helps uh, people find them, find out about the beer and stuff. And if you leave a nice review, a fun review, and mention us in it, we will read that here on the show. So thank you so much for our phantoms. We love you. Back to the show. Well, now, now it's the pander. <laughs> and now on to pander. <laughs> Which, of course, is the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk. Jake, boot it up. Okay, I booted it up. Um, Boop. <laughs> thank you. Um, this, of course, is a uh, uh, some kind of it's a, a creepy cursed machine that we use for calculating the NCAA device. You mean the device? Yeah, we use it for a bunch of different stuff. This particular program we use for calculating each of our Patreon patrons' individual creature critter monster things they personally need to be on the lookout, on the for. lookout for couldn't be easier we've now established mind link uh-huh. and we are going to assess the creature for victoria, victoria from somewhere, somewhere in, canada. in canada uh victoria beware the lurking menace of ganji's giant, giant blue eel, eel. Wow. Holy moly. <laughs> yes, of course, the ancient chroniclers of natural history documented as factual. <laughs> the ancient chroniclers, a considerable number of extremely strange, mysterious creatures that are exceedingly implausible from a modern-day zoological standpoint. All very uh, informative for what this thing is. <laughs> yes, I think you may be in the clear, Victoria. <laughs> Uh, the giant worm-like eels with vivid blue bodies uh, that were soberly named by Ctesius, Salinus, <laughs> Philostratus, Elian, Pliny, and several other famous early scholars to dwell amid the dank riverbed ooze of the Ganges and other major rivers in India. As you may have guessed, according to Gaius, Lulius? I think it's an Ulius? I. Maybe Julius? Salinus? Julius? A renowned Latin scholar and compiler who flourished during the 3rd century AD. These amazing creatures were 30 feet long. However, their dimensions grew ever larger with repeated retellings by later writers. Meaning they were... real. (laughs) Uh, Eventually they were uh, real big up to about 300 feet long. And, uh, yeah, they pop out of the Phrygian River and eat oxen, camels, and even elephants. So, Victoria, if you're ever in the Ganges, be on the lookout for, I guess, uh, Latin scholars who will Greek lie scholars. to you about giant eels. <laughs> and while you're at it, also be aware of possible eels themselves. But most importantly... Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. If you would like your... Wait one second. If you would like to have yourself entered into the Pander algorithm, you can do that for but a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. We accept all comers Yes. at this here red light district. <laughs> and there are, of course, other tiers that are even more fun. <laughs> yes. You can get uh, curated outtakes from every month's worth of, uh, of episodes, put them all together, edit them in a fun way for you to hear all of our goofins. We got special stickers. Uh, we're admittedly backed up on those, but buddy, you know it'll be worth the wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, what else we got, Wyatt? Bonus mini-sodes that we are now doing 
very regularly. For real this time. You can Every... find them even now. Yes. We're up to episode 20? I think so. I think 20 <sighs> comes out, yeah. And you better believe we're going to do 21. Yeah, so that each time a new episode of this main show comes out, a new mini-sode comes out alongside it that you may listen to at a certain tier. So if you just can't get enough of our delightful, <laughs> succulent voices... <laughs> you can yeah. jump behind the paywall and get a whole bunch a whole bunch more. <laughs> so if that didn't convince you, nothing will. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. And let's hop back into it with let's, Alex. Let's get back into it with Alex, yes. And there it will have been. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely placed. <laughs> Nicely placed. Welcome back from that not pre recorded ad. Or post recorded. What am I saying? <laughs> Dare I take it on to a little something else here? Sure. All right. Well, we eat out of them. We store leftovers, odds, and even ends in them. And if you ask some people, they may be slowly eradicating the human species as we know it. I'm, of course, talking about Tupperware. Oh. (laughs) And plastic containers everywhere, uh, which make up a largely ubiquitous and popular tool set for convenient and inexpensive home and commercial storage. Uh, But would you both believe me if I said these kits and their cousins, along with vinyl flooring, detergents, food packaging, personal care products, and cosmetics, may be among the most frightening things in our daily life? No. (laughs) I hope... I hope whoever thinks this is living like Lenny in that one Simpsons joke where he doesn't want anyone to know how he lives. Like he just has a table and a bowl and a spoon, and that's it. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> then you avoid all this stuff. <laughs> Thankfully, we won't have to go quite that far today. But, hey, if you can pull it off, guys, go for it. Of course, this is not just because they're collectively all going to break down in landfills and oceans for the next millennia. And as well, you guys probably and listeners out there already know kind of where this is going, which is the plastics are bad, which is not exactly a novel slogan. Uh, But hopefully in this section, I can spook you all once again. Um, So I'm focusing on Tupperware as a representative for an array of contemporary societal components uh, written about in Dr. Shauna H. Swan's recently published book, Countdown. How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, <laughs> Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. A different direction than I was expecting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. I've heard it may be retitled Swan Song, Yikes, Children of Men is sort of maybe real, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> but I've yet to actually read the book. Uh, either way, Dr. Swan's work has been featured in some media outlets of good repute including the new york times and the podcast on point which is where i'll be drawing some of my content for today Mm -hmm. dr swan is also to her credit one of the world's leading environmental and reproductive epidemiologists and a professor of environmental medicine and public health at the icon school of medicine at mount sinai in new york city so despite the breathless title she knows what she's talking about so before we get into dr swan's message Let's go for a brief history of at least Tupperware, which, I don't know, Alex, do you already know the history? No, I haven't done an episode about it. And I, yeah, we have, uh, I think it's called Snapware is the brand we have, but we we don't have a ton of it. Don't know a lot about it. There you go. So the original Tupperware was developed back in 1946, right here in my home state of Mass, Achusetts. Oh, by a witch, sure. By a witch, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) 
uh, Hermione H. Tupper. Just kidding. Um, no, his his name, of course, was Earl Silas Tupper. Wow. He had created the plastic for the Tupperware container eight years earlier, all the way back in 1938, hmm. um, and was set on revolutionizing the food storage game. Uh, he wound up throwing very popular Tupperware parties to help sell the containers. Uh, he'd basically come to a customer's home to demo products and give them and their neighbors a chance to connect over food storage wares, uh, which is a party concept that is honestly sounding like a blast after so much quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard of I've heard of Tupperware parties as like a what is it nineteen fifties ladies selling each other Tupperware thing. I, I like that it was a, a masculine inventor originally. I don't know, it, not that it needs to be one. I, I just like that it wasn't just ladies the whole time. I totally agree. Yeah, if you if you search. Yeah this term online you will find exactly that kind of image it, it is satisfying to know he kind of kicked off the the maybelline model or whatever it is like his other middle name is avon or something and he did that <laughs> you know? i don't know great <laughs> exactly <laughs> he also later decided to kind of abandon all the kind of mass-produced um, sort of chemicals and stuff and decided to start selling essential oils instead yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so before tupperware folks would use technology such as waxed paper to help store leftover foods uh and i can only imagine trying to use such things for foods like pudding soups and yogurts <laughs> along with waxed papers as you might have expected folks stashed their food items in basically whatever they could so you might have hidden them under simple lids or overturned bowls on plates wrapped in tea or dish towels packed in glass jars or paper bags and of course aluminum in many cases, though, a secure and reusable container was hard to come by. Moreover, lids were loose and could spill, etc. Uh, so, right, finally, with Tupperware, we had a mass-produced and convenient option. So, so far, so good. So, before I launch into the rest of my stuff, I kind of wanted to have a mini Tupperware party of our own right here, right now. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> ask... The hard-hitting question, which, of course, is do you use Tupperware-type containers? And if so, what's your favorite shape? <laughs> yeah, I mentioned those Snapware before. It's like it's Tupperware and it's uh, on the four sides of the lid. There's a snap on each one of them. Ooh. And we all and there's several sizes. We ran into a thing where we were trying to figure out a better way to describe them to each other because the colors don't line up on all the different sizes and everything. So the large ones, we just call them Gordons. Gordon? They feel like a Gordon. That's what we've come up with. Uh, so that's my current Tupperware situation is I've named one of our sizes and not named the others yet. I'm shocked to hear you haven't named the others. How many how many sizes total would this, how many names would you be able to produce if you were to name every size? I think I'd need five. I okay. got one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I do enjoy Gordon. It definitely captures... <laughs> Mm, a nice, good-sized Tupperware. You got a Gordon of food. You got you got dinner for a week. You know what I mean? That feels <laughs> there you right. Go. Yeah, <laughs> Gordon of food. That is awesome, Jake. Jake, how about you? What's your tup of choice? We uh, we used to have more actual like I don't know if it was Tupperware brand. I know we definitely had some. It doesn't have to be Tupperware brand, brand for the. Yeah, it's like it's like Band Aid. It's a uh, one of those things that just the the name is now everything. Correct. But I, th I think we may have had some Tupperware brand, largely a lot of like Glad brand. We've really been pivoting towards Pyrex uh, in the last uh, couple of years, trying to get more into the glass. There you have it. Mm. But the Snaplit stuff is where it's at. Like that's, what a great invention. Yay. Especially now that I have like when I bring stuff to work, I insist on using this old briefcase I found on Etsy because at one point I decided I didn't want to use a backpack anymore. 
and I can't fit most things inside. Like if I want my lunch inside, I have to put it in sideways. So if it doesn't have the snap lid, uh. it's just going everywhere inside the bag. <laughs> I also can't help but imagine you having the briefcase and still using backpack style straps to carry it. Oh, I do. Yeah. I, I just uh, tie it uh, with like ropes onto <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, well, for me, it's got to be members of the Screw Top Deli Container Series slash family slash collative Tupperware. Ah. I think it's phylum. I think it's a phylum. Phylum. <laughs> Unless you have a food item that needs to be on the horizontal plane, as you've just suggested, Jake. You just can't beat it for my money. Chronic bowl user for my foods. Really big on rice and quinoa-based stir-fry mm. opportunities, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, I'm all about it. Anyhow, why am I talking about all of this? <laughs> um, and why are these things so scary? Uh, do you guys want to guess first off? Jake, you kind of uh, preempted it a little bit there in your shift to glass. Oh, well, I'm worried about my sperms, I think is what we've learned here today. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Before the episode started rolling, we're, we're all, we were all talking about our sperm counts, and we were saying Jake seems high, you know? So <laughs> I, I can high. see how, you know, it's not in the main show, obviously, but before we were rolling, we just warmed up with some of that. We were on the <laughs> exactly. call for a good three or four hours counting our sperm. It took a while. It took a while. Yeah. We fortunately have the tools required to do so. There it goes. And Jake, <laughs> the uh, unquestioned champ. I don't think a pivot to glass is going to help bring that count down. But <laughs> anyhow, it is not scary because of strange colored Tupperware lids that never fit. Permapasta sauce stains. Or Gordon. Or Gordon, for that matter. Daunting as he may be in his <laughs> otherworldly containment capacity. I have two groups of components that make these and so many other products terrifying. One is made up of the bisphenols, which you guys probably are already familiar with. And the other is the more recently highlighted group of phthalates. So by now, it's not really news to mention that plastics are, generally speaking, bad. Hmm. And in no small part because they tend to leach chemicals into the environment. So the classic example of this is the compound BPA, which stands for bisphenol A, which is an industrial chemical used since the 1960s to make some plastics and resins. And once, not that long ago, BPAs were used in, among other things, water bottles and aluminum can liners, and BPAs seeped into food and beverages, and from there into the human organism. This was a major problem because BPA mimics in its structure estrogen and other hormones in the human body allowing it to interact with certain cell receptors as, as you might imagine it not being actually estrogen is a major problem hmm. this led to a ton of issues particularly for women including but not limited to cancer infertility and complications in fetal development so thankfully companies responded to the science when the negative uh, impacts of bpas were discovered so now we see most reusable plastic containers proudly labeled with the old BPA-free sticker, sure. um, and this is great. But what I recently learned from Dr. Swan's work is that there are other bisphenols which are designed to replace BPA but are not yet banned, such as bisphenol F and S. So according to recent studies, such as one by Soraya Eladak and her co-authors, which was published in the journal Fertility and Sterility, BPF and BPS are likely to pose a similar threat to our bodies. An interesting and unfortunate thing, but one that hopefully can be navigated around. As soon as it was called bisphenol A, you know there's other letters coming, right? Like, I'm surprised. It, are, are just all the ones between AF and S fine? I, I don't know if you know, but that's uh, amazing to me. 
I think they're going to use all of them up at some point. So yeah. they've, they've got 23 more to go after these ones get banned. Yeah, like Bisphenol G is like, hey, I'm not like them. Whoa. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. I'm a BPG. I'm great. Exactly. G for good. <laughs> Bisphenol E, I think, is just Bisphenol Estrogen, which is probably fine, too. Yeah, probably. The other group I mentioned, the Phthalates, they're shockingly widespread as i briefly mentioned at the top they've been used in vinyl flooring detergents food packaging personal care supplies and cosmetics among other things from a purely product-based perspective they are kind of cool because they can be used to make plastics more durable think nail polish and they can also help dissolve other materials if needed which can be important during manufacturing Hmm. but it's here that dr swan's work really takes the stage So she found that in western regions of the globe, which is more so socioeconomically rather than geographically, because this includes North America, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe, and this is only because this is where she could find relevant data, average sperm concentrations have dropped from 99 million per milliliter Mm -hmm. in 1973 to 47 million per milliliter in 2011. So that's more than 50% in about 40 years, Mm. or more than one percentage a year on average across basically every group. There's no picking or choosing here. And this is even more worrying because of its stability in the face of comorbidities, such as obesity, which can also apparently affect um, sperm concentration. So like BPA uh, mimicking estrogen, phthalates, as you guys can guess, uh, mimics testosterone or something? Yes, correct. Uh, exactly. Yeah, okay. It's the letter T. It's another another letter. Dead giveaway. <laughs> it was the alphabet's give- the secret. That's the key. I think the alphabet may be the thing that we <laughs> should be looking out for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, indeed. Endocrine disruptors uh, that interfere with testosterone signaling. So they are considered anti-androgen compounds. Mm. So studies in rodents have revealed just how damaging they can be as well. When pregnant mice are given phthalates in their food, they give birth to male pups that were significantly reproductively underdeveloped. And this inspired Dr. Swan to investigate whether something similar was happening in humans. And short answer, upsettingly, yes it is. So I'll leave it out there to check out the On Point interview and read about Dr. Swan's work on uh, everyone's collective time. Suffice it to say, phthalates and bisphenols are a quiet terror in our daily lives. And so with that, what can we do about this? Mm. Uh, Jake, you already mentioned switching to glass containers, which is a very good option. I don't know if either of you guys have heard about any of this stuff or made any other kind of conscious thoughts and any kind of pivot away from these components. It's not something I think about very often in my day-to-day life, but now I'm like thinking about it. Yeah, it never jumps to mind for me. Don't think about it. But good to know. Fair enough. Yeah, our goal, if nothing else, was to uh, scare you at some point today. So there you go. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, one option is to... Oh, go on. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say this water bottle I keep drinking out of is stainless steel. I had one before that was like there partly steel and partly plastic, and then it kind of... Also, nothing to do with the steel just lasts forever, whereas the plastic eventually starts to get kind of grody no matter how much you wash it. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah I got this just last year and I've been very happy with it incidentally on the uh, topic of things potentially damaging to one's health I need to wash my water bottle I I always let that thing go far too long (laughs) and then uh, it starts to ferment starts to ferment yes get a microbiome (laughs) of its own going in there (laughs) I'm pretty sure if I sealed this water bottle and opened it up 10 years from now there would be a fully grown plant inside 
Um, <laughs> so one thing you could do, avoid reusing any single-use plastic containers. Uh, these are often like the kinds of things that you bring food home inside of. You may be tempted to, hey, I might use this again. Don't do it. Buy locally produced organic food. These are all kind of obvious things and food that has been minimally processed if possible. Unfortunately, one major example of phthalates being introduced into our food is in cow's milk, mm. turns out. Phthalates are readily introduced from the hosing involved in the various stages of milk uh, extraction and pasteurization. And cow's milk itself, being a fatty liquid and one that is typically very warm in these stages, actually pulls phthalates out very readily. Uh. So there's a number of other reasons why cow's milk may be an ecologically complicated choice, but uh, this could be added to that pile if you're someone who is not into it. And yes, finally, if you can, store your leftovers in glass containers. Glass will not leach chemicals, even if it is a little more breakable. And otherwise, this is a little ditty they brought up on On Point, which goes four, five, one, and two, all the rest are bad for you. And this refers to the number in the little <laughs> recycling logo <laughs> yeah. on the bottoms of containers. Basically, if it's got any number there, you're fine. Uh, don't cook in plastic, but otherwise you're good. You said four, five, one, and two are okay. Exactly. So three, like three. however they made that scale, they left like a landmine in three. And then yeah. as you go down, you're like, it's fine, it's fine. Never, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Don't like that scale. Terrible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what? Oh, dear God, what is going on with three? Especially because the numbers do continue after five. They keep going up, so they could have had whatever three is be like six or something. I don't know. It could have yeah. been at the I end. I think so there's three, six, and seven. Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe three, six, and seven, you're out of luck and going to heaven. Something like this. <laughs> or I don't even know. A better thing could be done. Yeah. Do like the good ones are one, two, three, four, and then the other ones are like skulls, burning flames. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's, exactly. all, there's options. Exploding you know. bomb graphic. <laughs> Mary Worth. I don't know. Mary Worth. Something, something spooky. <laughs> one, two, Mary Worth, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> fire skull and crossbones but yes there there you have it this is why tupperware is spooky wow and another thing to do too is if you have stuff that is plastic i mean yeah try not to like heat up plastic things too much if you can avoid it and try and keep them out of direct sunlight both things can kind of degrade the plastic indeed one thing it's the weird plastics are polymers which is just a, a chain of a bunch of like the same kind of molecule altogether. really cool thing like how that works but uh, they can be broken back down into their monomers, which is the single version of the molecule. And turns out most of the polymers we use for everything, pretty safe as they are, pretty stable. When they're broken back down into the monomer, really toxic. It's a, it's, it's a bummer. It is a bummer. Wow. I, I used to work for uh, very briefly for the main Department of Environmental Protection, which is like the state level mm. version of the EPA. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing like in the different spreadsheets and set the lists of different kinds of toxins they test for. And there are a lot of just like monomers of very common plastics, mm. like uh, vinyl chloride mm. is the VC of polyvinyl chloride PVC. Mm. Uh. So like, yeah, PVC is really stable as it is. But if it does break down back into vinyl chloride, it's not so great. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, that, that's frustrating that the thing to do is keep plastic away from sunlight. 
which is basically keep the most common thing away from the most common thing. Yeah. Right. Come <laughs> it's on. So true. That's <laughs> that's really frustrating. <laughs> if you can avoid exposing it to air too, that also helps. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is a good point. Well, sir. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this real was treat. a real pleasure. Yeah, I'm going to have a talk with Gordon later. See what's <laughs> going on. Yeah. Gordon! Put in a, put in a good <laughs> word for us and uh, practice safe cat... I already forgot what it's actually called, but uh, that uh, cat summoning thing with mirrors. Catoptomancy um, or something like this? Catoptromancy, thank you. <laughs> Catoptromancy, there it is. Yeah. I, I left out the R yeah. in that 45-letter long word. If we say the name any more times, a cat appears in the mirror. Don't say it. <laughs> exactly. Don't do it (laughs) (laughs) now people can learn all kinds of interesting fun things they may not have expected on your podcast alex where can they find that thank you jake yeah it's it's called secretly incredibly fascinating you can search that name i I find that if you search secretly it usually comes right up red (laughs) logo and it's a show about the history and the science and the lore behind uh, things we all kind of take for granted and think are ordinary yeah, and if anyone ever has, if uh, I know every every year or two, new emojis pop up in all of our phones and stuff. If you have noticed uh, some new animals in those emojis recently, there's you can thank Alex for one of those. That's also a little a little mini podcast you can hear about one way to make an emoji. Yeah. That is so cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's about the bison emoji. I, I had a really great experience uh, and a really personal one uh, putting it out there. So it's a four episode miniseries. All good stuff. So definitely check out Alex's stuff. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on our goofy little show. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. Uh, do you have any other plugs you'd like to get out there to the to all of our twelve listeners out there? <laughs> <laughs> no, just those things. And, and this is a really fun show. Thank you guys for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, everyone else out there, if you could. Uh, Swing on by, what is it, Jake? iTunes, Apple Podcasts? Uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, I think, is what it's been called for like five About years now. Years yeah. now. <laughs> like, go to Napster.com and please uh, leave a review on our <laughs> podcast. And as well, you can always jump on Patreon to uh, lend some support. And Jake? Yep. Then we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>